The title that the staff, Pastor John and the staff gave for the service today is Go, Go. And I have subtitled it Luke's Privilege. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your electronic media with you, turn with me to the first book of Acts, first chapter of Acts. And we're just going to we're just going to start out here in this spot. I was in service many years ago with evangelist Don Brankel and brother Brankel was preaching and he said this this scripture is just a, a launching place for the rest of the sermon. And that's kind of the way I feel this morning. We're just launching here. We have to have a pad to build this thing on. But we're just going to launch here, beginning in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. I almost stopped right there. Because that's what we're looking for this morning from the Lord is further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once in, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I often refer to the book of Acts as the second volume of Luke because it is Luke's continuation of the narrative of his account of the coming of the Messiah and the early days of the church. And we can, we can note that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. And some people say, oh, no, 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 Paul wrote the most. Paul wrote the most number of books. But Luke wrote the greatest volume of the New Testament when it comes to words and, and the length of the narratives that he wrote. Luke wrote the most of the New Testament. And both of the books of Luke are addressed to a Greek named Theophilus. Acts chapter 1 through the first part of verse number two, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And then in Luke chapter one, verses three and four, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write with an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I can't think of a greater goal. I just want to be certain that what I'm believing and certain of what I am teaching is the truth. 
is the truth. You may never have heard of this man, Theophilus, before, but it might help you to remember the name if you'll think of it this way. That's Theophilus name I ever heard. <laughs> My kids would call that a dad joke. Okay. One day they, or one Christmas, they gave me a whole volume of dad jokes. And so I'm, I'm kind of that kind of guy. Most scholars believe that Theophilus commissioned Luke to research and to write these two scholarly accounts so he, Theophilus, could be correctly informed about the life and ministry of Jesus and the birth and growth of the early church. And so, you know, and a lot of that is conjecture. We just have to, well, who in the world was this man? Because these are the only two places that, that we have Theophilus is in Luke and in Acts. But in addition to that, Luke tells us more about the Holy Spirit than any other writer. And, and, and we, we, we get into the person. We get into the activity. We get into the, the life of the Spirit in the, in the writings of Luke. In this study that we are doing over the next several weeks, this study of the book of Acts, there will be times when there is an overlap of scriptures discussed. Okay, so, so next week when Pastor John is back and he starts preaching, you'll say, well, Pastor Perryman mentioned that last week. Okay, we, we know that. There'll be times when there is an overlap of the, of the things that are said. And understanding these things, this, this first chapter of Acts is the bridge between the Gospels and I hope you realize that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a unique genre of literature, unique to anything else in the whole world of literature. There's nothing else like them. The Gospels are redemptive literature, written for the purpose of bringing Jesus into our understanding so that we can believe on him and have salvation. They are redemptive literature, okay? And so Acts 1 is the bridge between this, this genre of, of redemptive literature and Acts, which is the one historical book in the New Testament. So it, it's, Acts 1 is the bridge. In this sermon, our goal is to build a platform of understanding that will smoothly set in motion our investigation of what God says to the early church and of what God is saying to this church. Let me tell you something, friend. The Lord was working and moving and speaking to and through the early church, but the Lord wants to work in and through and to this church, to this church and to this community, that this congregation will be a place where the power of God moves among us. 
Luke's account is laced with supernatural demonstrations, detailed travel logs, relational dramas. It's interesting when you get into the book of Acts and you see that some of the leaders of the church didn't even get along at times. They were people. They were flawed, just like you and I are, okay? So there were relational dramas, and there were natural catastrophes. Looks like in Acts 27, 28, in that area, that we're going to lose the Apostle Paul to a shipwreck. That's what it looks like. But God had another plan. You know he did. So in, in the narrative, the author reaches from the gospel to the acts of the apostles and has the privilege of predicting the promise, of telling about the power of the promise, giving us the presentation of the promise, and finally informing us how God intends to propagate the promise. Okay? So let's start with predicting the promise. And the key scripture here, if you want to look it up, and, and I'm not going to read it, but the key scripture is Luke chapter 24, verse number 49. You see, the final chapter of Luke's gospel contains four basic themes. It begins in verses 1 through 12 with the resurrection of Jesus. And then continues in verses 13 through 34 with the Emmaus encounter. Can you imagine just walking along one day and you and your buddy are talking and visiting and somebody joins you maybe from a side street or a, an, an intersecting pathway. And as you walk along and you, you talk about what's been going on in Jerusalem and talk about the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the brutality that was going on there. And suddenly this person that has joined you begins to give enlightenment to you that you didn't have before. And while you're walking and this person is talking to you, your heart begins to burn in you. Let me tell you something. If you'll walk with him today, your heart can still burn with the power of God. Your heart can still burn with the power of God. So it was the resurrection of Jesus, the Emmaus encounter, the appearance of Jesus to a group of of, of disciples in verses 35 through 49, and finally in verses 50 through 53, the ascension of Jesus. This post-resurrection sequence is very informative. In it, Jesus, the scripture says, to the, to the encounter there with those disciples, the scripture says that Jesus opened their minds to the understanding of the scripture. You know, Pastor Brooks used to say, when you get saved, don't give up your mind. You're going to need it. You know, and, and it says here that Jesus opened their minds 
to the understanding of the scripture. You see, he impressed upon them the fact that the messianic references of Moses and the prophets and the psalmists, that the things that they wrote in those things that were messianic promises, they spoke of him. And, and that he was and is the fulfillment of the things they told about. And the they that I'm talking about there are the writers, the authors of the scripture. And he, he told them, he opened their mind and he said, you read Moses, you read the prophets, you read the Psalms, and they talk about me. They speak about me. You need, you need to pay attention because if you want to know about me, you got to look to the scripture. You know, even to the Pharisees, Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. Let me tell you something. The promise of eternal life comes from what we are told out of the scriptures. Out of the scriptures. I, I was helping in a class not too long ago in a high school where our oldest daughter taught. And she taught English literature. And in, in her book was the King James Bible. And every year they'd get to that and the kids would say, well, what about this? And what about that? And so every year my daughter would, would say, Dad, come, come and talk to my kids. The first time it happened, she said to him, I think I can answer your questions, but I know somebody that can. And, and, and so this last, just this last school year, I was visiting with these young people and had such a wonderful time. And one of them looked at me and, and said to me, why are you so passionate about the scripture? And I said to that young person and that group, because it transformed my life. The, the message of the word of God has brought transformation to me and to many of you, I hope all of you, but certainly to many of you, it's brought transformation. It changed me. It changed me inside and it changed my direction outside. It changed me. Okay, so then he highlighted, Jesus highlighted information telling of the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. And not only in that, not, not only these things, but he charged them. And I want you to get this, okay. He charged them with personal responsibility. You know, there is a, I can't remember the name of the law, but there is a law that says 20% of the product gets 80% of the work, okay? I've learned over the years that 20% of the congregation do 80% of the work. You, you say, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's true. It's true. What I am pleading with you about today is to realize that you need to find a place of service. And the Lord speaks to you a word this morning of personal responsibility. Look at verse number 48 in Luke 24. 
You are, no, in, in, in Acts, yeah, Luke 24. You are witnesses of all these things. Now, witnesses can be used in two, in two contexts, okay? The first is, I witness what's going on. And the second is, I tell what I saw. And, and what you see here is Jesus is saying to them, you have seen, now you are to tell. That's, that's to us as well. That the scripture is to us as well. You've seen it, now it's your responsibility to, to live it out, to tell it, to live it out. Finally, Jesus predicted the promise of the Spirit coming. You see, then he said to them, you are not to do anything until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, this, this imperative of the Spirit baptism comes from Jesus. Doesn't come from me. Doesn't come from Pastor John. Doesn't come from the Assemblies of God. This imperative of spirit baptism comes from Jesus himself. And so Luke predicted the promise. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Luke talks about the power of the promise. You know, it seems that Acts 1, Luke takes the reader back to, to Luke 24. If, if you look at them, you can, you can dovetail those two chapters. You see, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, he, he takes them back to Luke 24 by saying they were eating together. And Jesus was teaching them. And Jesus instructs them not to leave Jerusalem until they have received the promise of the Spirit of baptism. You see, here, however, Jesus tells them that there is power with this promise. When Jeanette was just a little girl, she agreed to go fishing with me one day because I said, when we get home, I'll take you and I'll buy you a Coke. So we got through fishing and we were headed back into town and I turned off to go to the house and she said, Daddy, you, you said you'd buy me a Coke. And I said, I will, I will, I intend to. I intend to, but I gotta go get some money to fulfill my promise. I don't know why I didn't take it with me in the first place, but I didn't. So Jesus said to them, there's something that goes with this promise. For her, it was just a Coke, not even a diet Coke, but just a Coke. For her, it was a Coke, Gwena. Okay. But Jesus says, there is power. There's power and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. 
You see, Jesus said, there is power to accomplish my plan. I'm giving you, you can't do it on your own. I got up early this morning and found a quiet place in the living room and knelt down by the couch and I said to the Lord, I can't do this. I can't communicate the word of God without your power. Pastor Dave and I were talking about this before church this morning. We can't do this. We can't minister. We can't do what God wants us to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there, there's power to accomplish his plan. There is power to witness. And there is power for us to live every day. Jesus said, if I go away, I'll send you another comforter. And, and that word comforter is from the word paraclete, which means one called alongside to help. And because I'm filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, every day the Holy Spirit just comes along and says, I'll help you with this. There'll be struggles in today, but I'll help you with this. There'll be power to deal with every day. So there was the prediction of the promise. Then there was the power of the promise then Luke had the opportunity of the presentation of the promise. Imagine with me, Jesus is gone and the disciples go back to the upper room and they're waiting there and they wait for 10 days. You know, I don't know how you see this, but I've been in church a long time. I've known godly people a long time and if we were to do something here 24 hours a day for 10 days before the 10 days was up, the crowd would dwindle. Crowd would, I, I suspect that there was a bigger crowd than 120 when they started, but by the end of the 10 days, that the, the crowd had probably dwindled away. But imagine with me a conversation between Peter and John. You know, the, the people are praying and the people are waiting and the people are tarrying for the, for, for the promise to come. And, and John slips up next to Peter and he says to Peter, what are we waiting for? And Peter said, I don't know. You know, I got one of these little icons on my telephone that every once in a while I send people up. I, can't you see Peter doing it? I don't know. I, I don't have any, I don't know. And then John says, then how we, will we know when it happens? And Peter says, I don't know. <laughs> but I can hear him say, but I think when it happens, we will know. Think when it happens, we will know. And when the spirit that was promised was given, they certainly knew. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. You see, when the Spirit was presented to them, there was absolutely no question in, the, in their minds of the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. 
I counsel people, if you're praying for somebody to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't say to them, that's it, that's it. Let them say to you, I got it, I got it. Because when that power comes into our lives, we know it, we know it. It's there. We know it's there. We know it's there. So there was the predicting of the promise, the power of the promise, the presentation of the promise. Finally, there was the propagation of the promise. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse number 39. And if you have my book and it's signed underneath my signature, I have written Acts 2.39 for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I know I've departed from the New Living Translation, but King James is what I memorized. Okay, you see, there's power. It's God's plan, and it's God's will for all believers to have their own Pentecost. In this passage of Scripture, the promises to you, and, and this is the New Living Translation that I have here in my notes, the promises to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. A footnote clarifies this term, far away. It means to people far in the future. Now, there will be people a long way in distance, but what, what's going on here? It's to people far in the future. Aren't you glad that from the day of Pentecost till now, over 2,000 years later, that that promise is yours and that promise is mine, that I am far in the future, but the promise is just as real and just as vibrant and just as active today as it was on that very first day of Pentecost, on that very first day. You see, the footnote also says that it means unto the Gentiles. You know, in the writings of Paul, he talks about the Gentiles who were afar off. That, that's one, I choose to say it means both of those things. Those a long way out in the future and to Gentiles because that takes in me too. That includes me too. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something different this morning. And some of you are saying, what's new? You're always doing something different. Going to do something different this morning. Mark, would you escort Marcella up here? Josh, I see you back there. Now, I've talked to these people in advance. I'm not just calling them out of the congregation. I've talked to these people in advance. Kylie, would you come and join us up here? Ryder, would you help me please, sir? Need, I need Mark right here. Okay. Josh, Kylie.
Go ahead and sit down if you need to, Marcella. She doesn't need it. Okay. Let me tell you something. These, every one of these people are special to me. Okay. Ryder down there, I pick on Ryder every Sunday morning. Don't I, Dad? Yeah. I, I come by and I just give him grief every Sunday morning. For those of you that do not know, this is Marcella Gilchrist. Marcella is one of the oldest people of our congregation. Now, if you haven't noticed, I've arranged these people generationally. You see that? Generationally. I, I talked to Marcella about this on Friday night, and I said, now, I'm not going to tell people how old you are. You know, standing next to her, you can say, well, you're older than she is. <laughs> Don't you think so? I look older than Marcella does. Marcella is 91 years old. I told her I wouldn't tell, but she said, it's okay. It's okay. Marcella, you're my friend. I love you. You're also my birthday buddy. Marcella and I share a birthday, not, not the original date. I'm not 91 yet. As old as I look. But Marcella, the promise is yours. It's for you and it's for your generation. It's for you. And then I moved down here to Mark. Now, Mark, we're the same generation. Amen. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Now, that's a private joke, but Mark, <laughs> Mark knows. Mark's promise is yours. And it's to our generation. That's right. It's our generation. It's not, just, it's not just for you and me. It's for our generation. Amen. Okay. Amen. Okay. This is Dr. Josh Rollins. <laughs> Josh is my buddy. Josh teaches at UCO and I don't have just a whole lot of time, but once in a while I slip in on his class because I love to hear Josh teach. He does a great, and he's not ashamed to talk, talk about what God would do. He's not ashamed of that. And Josh, this promise is for you. You're the generation of my children. Okay. The promise is for you, and it's for your generation. For your generation. I love you, buddy. I hope you know that. I love you dearly. I do. This is Kylie Walton. Kylie is one of my sweethearts, okay? Kylie, it hadn't been too many months to standing right over there on a Sunday morning. I had preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Kylie, when it was over, said to me, I didn't intend to leave until I received the power of the Holy Spirit. And God filled her with the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues. And not long ago, she married that old bearded boy back there. And Kylie, this is for your generation, isn't it? It's for your generation. Not just for you, but for your generation. 
Okay. And this is Ryder. I love Ryder. It, it ought to be against the law to be this handsome. Or to have that much hair. And Ryder, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Let me tell you something. The promise that I've been talking about this morning is for you. For your generation. For your generation. I love you, young man. See, this is what I want you to see. I don't care where you fit in this breakdown of generational people, but the promise is, is for you. It's for you. Thank you. You can, you can go ahead and see. I was glad this morning that I could pull from all these generations. And the thing about it is, is we could, we could go back in the nursery, Matt, and, and we could steal one of those little ones back there from, from Melanie. And we could say to that baby, you don't know it yet, but this promise is for you. The promise is for you. On the day that my grandbaby was born, my wife and, and her, she was in the bed. My wife was talking to her and she said to me, you can pick her up. And so I picked up little Croston and I, she was all bundled up and I laid her on my knees and I talked to her and her mama looked over at me and she said what are you talking about but she he didn't know, the Croston didn't know what I was saying. I said, we're talking about important things. I said, I'm telling her about my Jesus. That I want her to love my Jesus. And to live for my Jesus. And every night, every night I pray. Bill Croston with the baptism with the Holy Spirit with Holy Ghost power with Holy Ghost power I don't want to lose the touch of God I don't want Janice to lose the touch of God I don't want Jeanette and Bill and Michelle and Raymond and Croston I want them to all have the touch of God I want them to go to heaven I want you to go to heaven I want us all to go to heaven but let me tell you something. There is a promise from the Father. It's what Jesus called it, the promise of the Father. It is in the Holy Spirit. <laughs>